My name's Chris Lane. And I'm Claire Cook. And this is the Not Forgotten Podcast. Welcome back to the podcast. And today we've got the panel discussion for you that we had at the Not Forgotten Conference. Um, this was one of the sessions that had really positive feedback in it in terms of just people saying um, they really appreciated the different voices that came and the opinions that were given and the interaction between the, the different participants on the panel as well. So I hope you enjoy it as much as we did. So, um, yeah, so this this next hour, really, that we've got, less than that now, um, we are, we just thought we'd have a bit of a chat around um, an issue that I think is a really practical thing. So how do we raise up leaders from within our estate contexts? Some of the challenges, the joys of that. Um, also, as we're planting new things, how do we keep them centered around Jesus? Uh, that we, you know, the, that's the purpose, isn't it, of why we plant new things is that, that people encounter Jesus. We don't plant church. Church isn't the goal. The goal is people encounter Jesus. So how do we keep that focus? How do we maintain our centering around Jesus? How do we stay filled with hope in the challenges um, when it takes a long time, when we're there for years? How do we stay filled with hope where do we get that from? What's that look like? So um, we did say at the beginning, didn't we, that we just thought, how can we get all our mates together? And uh, here are some of our friends, basically. And so what would be really great is if each of you could introduce yourself, say a little about, a bit about who you are, the context that you're in, and, um, and then we'll just have a chat around some of these topics together. So, Sam. In at the deep end, I think, isn't it? Straight yeah. in. Uh, I'm Sam Wormsley. I'm based at St. George's Church in the very centre of Preston. Uh, we're a bit of a unique setup in that we are one parish with a HDB plant at one end and we Anglo Catholics at the other end. And we're trying to bridge that gap uh, and learn from one another, uh, all with the aim of bringing people into relationship with Jesus Christ. Uh, and it's been three years of joy so far, uh, not been without its challenges, of course, but great learning. And one part of this uh, setup is that we've been, we've been working towards launching Ladywell House, which is launching in September, which is a permanent contextual placement. Get that bit right. That's absolute key. Permanent contextual placement in partnership with Emmanuel Theological College for traditionalist Catholic ordinands to train in the parish, contextually based, but living in the house, in community, together. Um, and they're going to learn from the joys and the challenges of parish life. Launch some things, fall flat on your face, it's absolutely fine. Um, you know, come and tell us what you think we should be doing. Give it a go, learn, so that you can be sent out from this place to revitalise your own parishes when you get there. Um, so it's a little bit new. We're complementing what's currently available within our movement. We're not in competition with it, we are complementing it. Uh, but it's a challenge, it's something new, it's exciting. Uh, and here, let's see what September brings. There's a little brief overview, is that okay? Fantastic. There you are, you want to be last, but you're second. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny how God works that out, isn't it? Um, yeah, oh, good morning. Uh, I'm Sharon, and I'm 
Uh, <laughs> yep. I'm a lay minister uh, from Blackburn working on an SDF project um, called Empower. Um, part of my time, three quarters of it, is spent living and working on the Roman Road estate in Blackburn. And uh, another quarter of my time is spent working for the Empower project. So at the minute I'm leading a hub in Accrington. Um, I'm sure, well, hopefully I'll get a chance to talk about Empower a bit later. Um, yeah, and I've planted a church called Pop-Up Church that works out of a community library on the estate. Um, and it's been going about five years. Hi, I'm Sweetlin. Uh, I'm a uh, first-year ordinance uh, studying at Emmanuel College. Uh, I'm from Diocese of Manchester. Uh, just a bit of a background about me. Um, I'm originally from India. I came to this country 23 years ago. Um, I was running away from God. <laughs> Uh, but God was chasing me all the way through. Um, my uh, sort of uh, experience is uh, before coming to ministry, I was a clinical lead occupational therapist um, working in NHS for a long, long time in an adult uh, acute mental health unit. Um, and I, was, I mean, working with the mental health people was a, a great privilege and treating them I found it really, really that God was really doing something in my life, treating them and being and wa walking alongside the journey uh, gave me an immense joy. Um, but when I came to ministry, uh, God took me all over the world to preach the gospel because I went through a very difficult time and 2009 was a turning point in my life. Um, I was sharing the gospel and preaching and uh, um, especially when I went to Middle East uh, for preaching, something really touched me, seeing these people worshiping in basements and using the resources that really touched me. God was speaking to me something about it, and um, that was about church planting uh, and um, uh, being a pioneering uh, minister. So God told me, stop going abroad. I need you here. <laughs> uh, so there we go. Uh, resigned my job. Started to work in an ex-mining uh, um, uh, estate. Um, uh, my experience is uh, um, bringing up a new worshipping community um, and um, um, reaching out to people where they are uh, and bringing Jesus Christ. Isn't that amazing? Mm. Um, you know, in that people's life, when they feel that they are excluded from the community, people who are marginalized, that really touched me. These people need a hope. And um, I thought, because I am a child of God, you know, I'm the, I am uh, God's child. Uh, he can do anything and everything. So I thought, well, I will do that. You know, uh, I can reach out to these people no matter what. And that is what I did. And um, my, as I said, my experience was uh, uh, bringing a new worshipping community. So I planted uh, sort of a new worshipping community in the um, ASDA shopping centers and the schools. Uh, so yeah, I thank God for that. Um, yeah, played a, playing a small role in that. Yeah, thank Love you. Uh, my name's Linda, and in 2016, I was appointed as a pioneer minister to the Mearside Estate, which is an estate on the outskirts of Blackpool in Lancashire. 
The estate had no church presence on it at all. The previous Church of England one had closed down a few years previous to that. So uh, we started with nothing in the very beginning. Um, we had no church building, no congregation, no resources or anything. It was just me and Pete. In fact, he was working elsewhere at the time, so it was just me. Um, <laughs> one of the most beautiful gifts I was given on my licensing day was my bishop gave me permission to fail. He said, go, um, we're giving you five years on this estate, go and do something, and if nothing happens, it's not a sign that you've failed, it's a sign that God is just not at work in this place at this time. And I carried that with me for the next seven years, it turned out, but God was most definitely at work in that place. We started our first service in my living room um, with myself and Pete and the next door neighbour. And it grew and we moved into um, a council building. They let us use it for a while and we outgrew that and we ended up renovating an old derelict church hall, um, raising quarter of a million to renovate that and to move into that. Um, we started, we used the gifts that we had, so I started a community choir because I love singing. Pete started a shed man group because he's great at carpentry. Um, we went to the car boot sale, which was where everyone was going on a Sunday morning, and we started a prayer tent there, and our church grew through the connections that we made there, which meant we'd church on a Sunday afternoon at half four, which was just lovely to have a lion on a Sunday morning sometimes as well, Amen. when the car boot wasn't on yet. Um, so uh, we were there for seven years, um, and by the time we left, the Freedom Centre um, was a flourishing community centre with a cafe and a charity shop in it, a food bank, many different activities throughout the week, and worshipping congregation of around 65 uh, across three different services. Um, and I was trying to describe the congregation, um, the community there, and I came up with um, inclusive, open altar, Eucharistic-focused, liturgical, relaxed, joyous church family. That's Freedom Church for you. Um, Currently vacant, if anyone's looking for a job, it's one of the best jobs in the country. <laughs> Any clergy are looking for a really exciting church, plant church, ministry thing, please do come and talk to him, and I mean that quite seriously. I'll hand over to Pete. So we're no longer in Blackpool. Um, we're currently in the parish of Ribbleton um, in Preston. Um, so hi, I'm Pete. I'm a church army evangelist um, by training. And uh, I have two jobs. Half-time, uh, I have the joy of leading two uh, Empower Hubs, raising up unlikely leaders in our churches across uh, Blackburn, which is a very, very wonderful, exciting job. Uh, the other half of my job is that I am a church army evangelist funded to work alongside Linda in the parish of Ribbleton, um, which means that Linda is now my line manager. Um, <laughs> So I'm clearly punching above my weight in all aspects of my life at the moment. Um, a little bit about Ribbleton, where we currently are. It is a huge parish. Um, 24,000 people in the parish. There are six significant housing estates on the, in the parish. 11 schools um, and two churches. The two churches that are there, St Mary Magdalene, um, traditional Catholic uh, worship Linda is the first female priest they've ever had there and then a sister church called the Church of the Ascension um, which is situated right in the middle of one of the biggest estates in uh, Ribbleton um, that's where we currently are um, we've got a lot of work ahead of us as we've landed and trying to learn uh, what the ground is like who the people are like and how we're going to raise up uh, leaders to help us uh, with God's mission where we are now Hello everyone, you alright? 
Um, I'm Reverend Hannah Amner, um, and I was just looking at your gorgeous faces when, I, when everyone was talking. I was listening as well, by the way. <laughs> um, but but I, I was just thinking, like, you know, around this room, everybody all has different stories. You've all come from different places. And I suppose my little coin in the room is that... I, so I've, I'm a priest, right? And... Um, and and this journey, because of my life story, ha hasn't been that accessible. Um, and so I've kind of spent my years um, being passionate about making that accessible and asking a lot of questions. So I'm going to share a little bit of my story. I, I'm actually about to become a vicar, whoop whoop, in... Um, in a, a in a chaplain role in a in a high school, but also uh, in two rural churches. So and everybody's like, this is a real great shame. But later on, I'm going to share to you why that's actually a gift. So is that all right? Sure. Yeah. I mean, do you want to kick us off, Hannah, uh, in terms of? I think if we're going to have a first little chat around uh, leaders raising yeah. up leaders, do you? If share a little bit of your experience and some of your learning for us, and then s some of the panel can perhaps speak into that as well. Is that all right? Yeah, of yeah. course. Um, so I, I think I want to start with a little caveat. Um, I'm going to share a little, a little bit of my story. Um, sometimes this can be really traumatising for people, and it's really easy sometimes in our churches because we love a crime documentary in our culture. We, we love to cart people up and get them to share their really awful story, but actually that can be really traumatising, can't it? And, and we've got to be really careful about not being an exploitative church and a people. Um, so I'm going to share a bit of my story with you, but I know in my own self that after this I need to go and practice a lot of self-care and a lot of prayer. Yeah, so I just want to see some of the things I'm sharing with you. I hope you'll take that away. Um, so um, I, I kind of my my dad. I'll start with my dad. I love my dad. My dad's called Carlo, and um, my dad from the age of twelve was homeless on the streets, and um, you know had a really really rough time. Um, and I think, you know, there's generational things that happen. So at the age of 17, I found myself homeless as well, um, just through, like, relationship problems and um, getting involved with a lot of dangerous people and stuff like that. Um, and so you found me sleeping on tubes and uh, I got arrested once because I ended up sleeping at Gatwick Airport and apparently that's not allowed. So the seats weren't that comfortable, but you know what I mean? Um, so I found myself at 17 in a hostel um, with my boyfriend. And in my life, for me, what the only thing that hope was or aspiration was, the only thing I could aspire to is, if I get pregnant, then I can get a council flat and then I can be out of this situation and I'll have someone to love and to love me back. Um, and, and there was just this one day and I was in quite a, a very difficult and toxic place. And um, I looked around, I woke up in the morning in this tiny hostel and I looked around and there was just piles of bodies on the floor where it was like my, my boyfriend's mum and all the kids who had just left an abusive partner and the apple didn't far fall far from the tree with the boyfriend. Um, and I just had this moment of courage to leave, okay? And that actually put my life in danger. I nearly lost my life. Um, and then basically I came home, found a Bible in my house 
as you do, and I opened the last book of the Bible, as you do if you can't really read, read the book of Revelation, became a Christian. I called a priest. Obviously. Obviously, that's just what happens. I called a priest through the yellow pages because I was like, yeah, you know what I mean? And, um, and I was like, I think I've heard the voice of God. I don't know what to do. And he was like, oh. And uh, so, <laughs> so I turned up at a church on Sunday. And, and this kind of conversion story it reminds me of Apostle Paul. You know, when the scales f- fell from his eyes, it was as if I'd encountered the lover of my soul. And it was as if I could really see, like I could see what life was actually about. It was the best day of my life. Um, and so I've gone on this journey and I've been back and forth and all of that stuff, you know. And, uh, and God's led me, led me into ministry. Um, I didn't want to be a vicar. The vicar life chose me just like the fuck life. And <laughs> <laughs> um, I couldn't think of anything worse at the time. But the Lord calls you and you have to go. So... Um, so I went on this journey and and I turned up at theological college um, and one of the first things at theological college that I was told, and it's all right, but I kind of felt in that moment, I was like, I don't want anyone else to be told that. So someone sat me down who's very influential and said, you need to change the way that you dress and the way that you speak so that you can speak to people like bishops and stuff like that. Oh, poor me. (laughs) But it doesn't matter about me. What I mean is actually what culture are we perpetuating? Do you know what I mean? So it was fine, but I hope it ended with me. And I think it's starting to, do you know what I mean? So so Chris, this legend here, he, when I was at theological college, God put the right people in place and Michael Layden as well. And every voice that said, you need to not be who you are, he and other people, Sam over there, said, no, you need to be exactly, exactly who you are. So I've gone on this, this journey, and in my final year, um, I, did my, I, I did a master's. I didn't get any GCSEs, and I did a master's. <laughs> Come on! <laughs> um, yeah, and in my, in my master's, I looked, looked at raising, about raising leaders from the margins and stuff like that. Um, and, and at the time, Jill Duff was quite a hot topic with this stuff, and she had this whole mandate of like raising up leaders from the margins to lead in marginalised areas and you know, stuff like that. I'm not, that's not Jill's voice, by the way. It's just <laughs> how I heard it. And I was like, yeah, all right, that's good for some, but what about... What, what, isn't it important that we're all a gift... Like, we're all a blessing. And that's why I love the title of this conference, Treasure in the Margins, because the thing is, we can make huge assumptions over communities. And actually, that's curse speak. So, and it's lazy as well. You know, we'll say, we'll hear what people say, oh, I'm sorry that you live there or whatever. But that is actually a curse. You're basically saying that's who they are and stuff like that. And then it, it continues that. Um, and so, oh, I've lost my words now. I've got a bit too passionate. <laughs> what do you want to say about it's not just you for that area. But yeah, thank you. Yeah, so, so, so basically, it really, really is about seeing people, the individual, the art of listening. 
you know, you talk about double listening, listening to the person and listening to God and realizing that you're not coming along, you know, you're suave and going, bringing Jesus to people, but actually Jesus is already there and you have as much as a blessing to learn as this person has from you. So of course I'm going to go to a rural church because I'm a blessing. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? (laughs) And if we don't break these cycles, then actually, who's going to be writing your books? Because I read all these amazing books about, you know, missional church and all that kind of stuff. And I see the author, and actually, they're normally this white middle-class man, which I I love with middle-class white men. But, but actually... <laughs> yeah, he knows. So... But actually, we need diversity in our academic world. We need people, you know, in places of influence who are from different backgrounds because that, I believe, is the body of Christ. And that's what the heavenly realms is going to look like. So that's in short. I was so short, wasn't I? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. We love you, Hannah. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Oh, thank you so much, Hannah. Thank you for sharing that. You know, that's a really precious gift that you've given us in sharing part of your story, so thank you. And Pete and Sharon, you're both kind of doing this in a practical sense, aren't you, with Empower in terms of facing this challenge of what what is it that we expect our kind of the generic leader to do in the Church of England and is that appropriate for everybody or not? So you're tackling that aren't you with empower do you do you guys want to say a bit about kind of the challenges that you're facing and and how you've shaped empower to be more inclusive so that we can hear those variety of voices well sharon's staring at me sharon's um, a senior to me she's been there longer but she's staring at me going i've been there longer pete you're talking (laughs) (laughs) um yeah, I've been involved in Empower for the, for the last three years. Uh, and when I came in, it was in a process of change. Um, it had been set up as a model. Uh, and the model was great and it worked uh, for a season. Um, but actually, in order for us to make it more inclusive and, and to reach further across the diocese and across the traditions, we had a little bit of work to do. So we spent a year um, looking at the programme, rewriting the programme, um, making the program more accessible. Um, in short, what is Empower? Well, it's it's a journey. Um, you can call it a training program if you like, but actually what we do is we journey with people um, from November, when we start our training, through to June. Uh, we've got our last week next week. We've got some of our Empower people in the room. Give us a wave. Woo-hoo! Um, who are extremely sad because we're finishing next week. But actually, that's not the end of the journey for them. Um, because what they're going to do then is they're now part of the Empower movement uh, in the diocese. Um, We're not an alumni, we don't like that word. Uh, We're a movement in the diocese of people who um, have been trained and equipped through the Empower program. We look for the rough diamonds uh, in our congregations. We look for uh, the unlikely characters uh, in our congregations. We look for those who have had tough lives. Uh, in our congregations and we say come journey with us Uh, and we've been absolutely blown away by what Jesus has done in the lives of some of these people Uh, just because we've taken a risk on them uh, and we've given them a chance 
uh, and it has just been incredible. Um, there is a lady who's in this room uh, who um, I won't tell your name to embarrass her, um, but felt called to lay ministry, um, felt God was calling her to something in lay ministry. The only route for her was the lay readers program, LLM as we call it now. Um, she failed that twice because she just could not get ahead around the academia side of it. She came on Empower, she thrived, and she's now employed as a community evangelist on an estate, a tough estate in Blackpool, doing an incredible job uh, loving people and raising up people for Christ. Mm. And she's looking at me like she's going to batter me afterwards. But <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's just one small example of what Empower is doing uh, across the diocese. Yeah, thank you. And it's really practical, isn't it, Sharon? I don't know if you want to say something about with Empower. It's There's about discipleship, but they also do like a practical mission thing, don't they, as well? Yeah. Do you want to say something yeah. about that? Um, one of the things that they do, which is really great, they're encouraged as part of their Empower to um, do a missional event or to, to maybe do a missional event that then begins to plant something new. Um, and we've had some absolutely incredible examples of where people, this is where you really see them step up uh, in, the, in their own creativity and their own giftings naturally. Um, we've a lady that's doing Empower currently, very shy. She's already done it three times but never completed it. Thankfully this time she is completing it but she's her mission event was to um, the residents of New new houses uh, on the estate. She funded it all herself. It was a wonderful event. She got crafts for the children and in the middle of it, she stood up and she talked about the God of community. Only for three or four minutes, but it was something that you wouldn't have said knowing this lady because she's incredibly shy. You would have never have said she could do that, but she did that that day. And Pop-Up Church also has been uh, given by God an, an allotment at the back of it. That's a long story how we got that. But she has stepped up into running that work, uh, which is kind of secular, but the gospel is up on the fencing of the allotment. And she's already built a team of four people and a baby, which is stunning. I really look forward to seeing what God... <laughs> I really look forward to seeing what God will do, um, you know, in and through her. Amazing. Mm, that's yeah. amazing, isn't it? And I wonder just if there's anyone else kind of who just wants to speak to, as a leader in these contexts, how do you spot new leaders? How do you um, help them to recognise themselves as leaders? What does that look like to give them opportunities to grow? You know, just kind of talk us through what you're doing as leaders to create this kind of environment where different kinds of people who maybe don't have uh, some of the skills that we would automatically identify and go, oh, yeah, you're totally, you know, whatever. But um, how do we raise them? What, what, what do you need to do as a leader to make space for that to happen? If anybody else wants to chip in, go for it. I'll take that one. Um, 
So one of the things I believe very much in is taking, uh, taking risks with people, so not necessarily looking for the polished product of somebody. Um, when they made our church plant into the parish church um, of, of our parish, we had to create a PCC, um, which I'm sure like, there's just delight and joy on your faces when you hear that word. Um, half my PCC were under 30. I think we actually had the youngest PCC in the country at the time. Um, one of my church wardens was under 30, single mother of four, but people looked to her. She was the one that people flocked to at the school gates. She was the one that when she came and sat in the cafe, people would gravitate towards her. So you could see that she had leadership potential. She wasn't aware of it. She just thought that this was just naturally who she was. But people were looking to her. And when she said something, it happened. So she made a natural choice for me as church warden. We had to do a lot of extra support. We had to think about things like childcare for her. Um, we had to work around the hours that she was available for being able to do that. So sometimes there are those extra things that you need to put in place. Um, sometimes we're dealing with people with chaotic lifestyles and you have to be able to roll with that. You have to be able to, yeah, we're going to actually have to cancel this meeting with like two minutes notice and reschedule it for another time because people have just pulled out at the last minute. And you have to take chances on investing with people, particularly in transient areas, when they might just disappear. They might just move because suddenly the council offer them a better house on the other side of town. And all this time and investment you've put into them, they move on. But you have to trust that God is in all of this. You don't get like despondent, like, oh, well, that was a complete waste of time. You have to trust that you have grown them to a certain extent and then handed them over to another greenhouse for them to carry on growing with that as well. But it is that it's been able to, to take chances on people. They will not always work out. You will not always have the perfect leaders. You will not always have um, the most reliable people there. But taking a chance on people, there are some amazing diamonds out there, as we talked of earlier. Can I just share my uh, experience? Uh, working in a uh, mining estate um, community, um, we had people who are, suffer from a low self-confidence and... Um, if you ask something to do, they'll say, Sweetlin, I'm not confident enough. I feel really low. Um, I have low self-esteem and all those things. So what I did was um, taking them to a local pub. Um, you know, church environment is not the best thing to encourage somebody else. <laughs> so I used to take them uh, to pub or cafe, chat about it, and ask them to read Bible. Uh, and you know how amazing they were in reading things? But they didn't discover that until they came to the uh, different environment and started to read. Giving that opportunity for them to, to recognize what the skills they have got is very important. It's not that when we think about leader, uh, leaders and all those things, it's not always about you got to stand in front of uh, the church and the congregation and lead things. Um, it's using the gifts and the talents, what they have got. And um, they started to help in the kitchen. Um, and they started to help in the messy church, doing crafts and things like that. So it depends on uh, who we are dealing with and trying to recognize and spot what the skills are. Uh, even giving a service sheet is a skills for them who are suffering uh, in a low confidence and uh, self-esteem. So that's what we did. I think very quickly, um, one of the big things we've found is just simply giving people an opportunity to do it uh, and releasing them to do it. Um, and I can think of one example quickly as people were talking uh, and uh, about a year ago, and there's a member of our congregation, a beautiful lady, uh, she's a former florist, uh, and she's a faithful member of the congregation. 
uh, and has, has come every week, every week, and, and not really done the, the sort of evangelism stuff, but wants to give it a go. Right, come on, Margaret, give it a go. Uh, and uh, we have a, a road going through Preston. It's supposed to be a ring road, but it cuts the city in half. It's a ridiculous road, and it's dug up at the moment, uh, and there's a crossing in the middle that you have to use to get over this road because there's bollards. So what did Margaret do with, these, with a handful of flyers and leaflets? She stood on this crossing. And I thought, well, I'd never thought of that, personally. Uh, but she's, and nobody got past her. It, nobody. <laughs> Absolutely nobody. But yet they, and they found out that we were there. And they came across, and there are new students in our congregation as a result of that hour. Uh, so simple opportunities really do go a long way. So, so much of it is about um, that listening and listening to the Spirit and, uh, and listening to what pe people are, are saying. I think that... So, um, is it um, Vincent Donovan who says that, you know, when the gospel comes to a new, a new place and a new group, that a song emerges, a new song that we've we've not heard before and w that we need to hear, and it's so much of it in our practice has been hearing the gospel back um, from as people encounter it, in, but in fresh words and in, and in fresh ways, and so much of it is. Um, being a learner, and, and I think some of Hannah's experience for me just brought home again and again. Um, how do we how do we go in as learners? How do we realise that that we have we have so much to receive? Um, I think for, probably for us, twenty four years ago, kind of a bunch of really enthusiastic early twenties, thinking we were going to change the world. Um, and thinking we were bringing Jesus to everyone, <laughs> um, and and just discovering that He was already there and that He was calling us, and that we didn't have all the answers, and that some of the stuff Al Barrett and the team were saying yesterday in the book launch, just around when Jesus sent out the seventy-two in Luke ten, it's about that He says, "Go and be hosted. Go and." Go and find people who will receive you, and so you you put yourself instantly in a the 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 position of less power and the position of relying on others rather than saying we've got this, we've got that, we'd like to offer you this. Could we sort you out? Could we wash your car? Could we? And all of these things are nice, but just that kind of putting ourselves in a position of could you help? Could, could you help us? Could we? Uh, could we work together? Could you host this and that and um, just so much of what people have said is, and and, and it's in that it's in that posture that then you recognise facets of, of leadership within people that doesn't look exactly like you've experienced in your life necessarily, but you see it and you see the mum who everyone comes to at the school gate and and you think there's there's something that God has put in that person and yeah it's re really interesting. Um, well, do you want to go next, Claire? Yeah. No, no. Oh, I've got ages. <laughs> Does anyone want to ask the the panel a question? Anyone on the? I know Sharon's context, and I, I wondered if Sharon would like to share some of the practical challenges of living on a a pretty rough housing estate. Sure. Do you want to? Um, yeah, it's uh, it can be challenging living on an estate, but it's also incredibly joyful. 
you know, uh, like you said, Chris, that you thought you were taking Jesus to them, but Jesus is already at, at work. He was already at work on the estate that I was sent to. They're places of great community. So what I did, I just got stuck in with all the community stuff that was going there and built relationships that way and invited um, people along to the church. Uh, I have at times felt um, quite lonely and quite isolated, I'd say, that that has been a challenge. And the fact that it's an SDF um, project, which is kind of output numbers based, um, when Jesus is uh, all about people, walking alongside people, the amount of work that is put in is not necessarily reflected in um, the numbers that are achieved because it can take years and years to mm. um, have, have a lady who I've walked alongside for five years and has only recently just, and I don't know why she did it, she did it unprompted. I was just sat with her and uh, she started to sp spill out all this stuff that had gone on in her childhood and all this shame that she'd been carrying labels that had been stuck on her. Um, you know, and that's five years I've known that lady. But when people have um, issues with trust, it is very, very hard and it takes a long time. And I'd say that's definitely one of the challenges of a short-term project. Agreed. Just say it as loud as you can. Yeah. Um, what, what, what kind of material I'll just repeat the question. So, is there any kind of material that people use in terms of discipling people? Has anyone? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I still love you, even though I'm a United fan. <laughs> We used uh, like a start course. Um, it's not a brilliant one, but it helped <laughs> uh, for people. And a pilgrim uh, course uh, for them to explore and learn God. And in a um, um, mining estate, I don't think alpha works <laughs> um, because it's too much for them. So start from the basic. I think ALF is really interesting because it totally works for us sometimes and then sometimes it doesn't. And I, I think I think it's to some of our groups just loved taking the mick out of Nicky Gumball. Uh, but, but also they really loved him as well. Um, and he was so different to them, but it, it kind of really weirdly worked. So, yeah, it's interesting. Sorry. Um, is someone else going to speak into the material? The start course, you... Uh, I do a house group as well called Big Questions. So people come with their questions. Uh, everybody and anybody is welcome. I do it from my house with food. Uh, and that is hugely successful. Um, so if there's a question that comes up at the group, that will be the question for next time. That's, that's, that's how we do it. Well, we had uh, Bishop Graham Cray talking to us, and he said in all his experience of fresh expressions that the best course that works was the what he calls the the course that we made up ourselves adapted to our community course and um, he said like statistically that's generally the best thing or you adapt something that's already there yeah uh, during the empower program one of the things we like to do is we like to invite panels of guests um, from across the traditions in our local communities 
Um, so you might get a, an ordained priest, somebody who's lay, and uh, somebody who's a community outreach worker and that. And we, um, uh, during the uh, sessions, um, we have a topic that we discuss. Um, one of the favorite ones is answering the big questions in the pub, um, where we actually go to a pub. Um, and uh, we have this scenario where if you're in a pub and you're a Christian and the table next to you hears you talking about God, what might they say to you? Uh, and how might they challenge you with some of the tough questions around Christianity? Uh, and our, our uh, participants get to question uh, a panel of guests on stuff like that. And that really works uh, as part of our discipleship as well. Nice one. Thank you. Yeah, at the back. Yeah. Incredible. So just to repeat the question in case anyone didn't hear. So this is a question about safeguarding. How do we raise up leaders on, within this sort of safeguarding guidance that we have, which is really important so that all people are safeguarded and we're, we're creating safe spaces and acknowledging that we're dealing with often with people with complex, complex lives. Um, it's messy. H how do you kind of navigate that? Yeah, um, in our smiling estate, we had a new people coming and joining in our Wednesday service. What we did was we actually arranged a safeguarding training for them to go to, to attend. So they, the people who came actually went to the uh, safeguarding training and they said, Sweetland, we didn't know we need to look for this, this, this. That was really brilliant. You know, now we can be aware of what's what we need to look for. So we trained them all. <laughs> Uh, the diocese was very good in that uh, to offer the training, uh, opening up for the congregation to go and attend. Yeah, there's a, there's a challenge around it in terms of um, we've got this amazing lady who's who came to faith through the church and started this project on her street, kind of providing food for families and kids, and it was just it was extraordinary considering her past and what she'd and, and this passion now she had to help others, but. Um, there wasn't. She wouldn't work around kind of some of us the safeguarding. So we just had to say, look, this this is this can't be a church project. Um, so that we had to just kind of put a a marker for her and say, look, here's the things. But here's the things that you you need to be doing. And if you can't do them, then it it, it can't be a kind of a thing that's associated. So so we had sometimes we've had to do those kind of slight separations and so you know we love you and we we bless you but we can't um put our name to that as well um so there's some of those issues that you've got to be really careful with very practically i work with sharon um and we um, have got an ex-offender policy and we uh, are robust with that so and when I say robust that means that we can then release people in stuff that is suitable for them and and actually I think everyone's meant to have a an ex-offender policy but it's not actively promoted that we're meant to but we should all have that thank you yeah just as a as a backstop really to all of this is that Use your, if you're part of the Church of England or whatever network that you are, know who your safeguarding officer is. Be, make contact with them. Um, you know, they they are there to support and help us in all ways. So like Sweetland said, you know, if you say to them, all right, 
fair enough that the training's online, but I've got a bunch of people here. We, we just don't have enough devices or whatever. It would be much simpler to do it in person. You know, just get to know your safeguarding officer and, and be in communication with them to say, help us. Here's our scenario. Here's this, the particulars of the scenario that we're in. Help us to make this safe. And your safeguarding officer will do that um, and will help you in that area. So just to kind of... Um, finish on that topic really with that but um, we're going to move we've got just 10 minutes left and selfishly one of the things that I want us to talk about is um, you know we've we've talked today uh, over the last couple of days about how do we when we're planting churches how do we make them make sure that we are always centered around Jesus and not something else whatever the other thing is and um, how do we remain hope-filled I think that those two things are linked I think that when we center ourselves around Jesus, we stay filled with hope. One of the challenges that I see is, um, so in the Church of England, one of the ways that we kind of identify when something is a church rather than a, a missional project, if I can just bear with me while I kind of figure this out with you, is that in the canons we say that for it to be a church congregation, that the pure word of God is preached and the sacraments are shared. So I wonder, what does that look like in your context? Um, one of the challenges I see is how do we do the sacraments well in different ways um, when it needs a priest to do that, when we have particular liturgy that's given to us, how do we how do you do that how do you face that challenge because i think that the temptation is to kind of go oh well we'll figure that out later and we we'll, we'll kind of it's enough for us to talk about jesus and the bible like that's enough for us to get our head around for the minute so we'll deal with the sacrament part later um what's your experience that it may be that you say yeah we don't know we haven't figured that out yet but I, this is where my head is at so i would love you to hear some wisdom from the room really on how you are wrestling with those things so that we remain because the Eucharist is one of the places that we gather around Jesus isn't it baptism and so on um in a real tangible way an experiential way how do you do that um the Eucharist is um absolutely essential to my faith it's really really central to my faith um, when you're working on estates, you quite often encounter people who are broken, who have had all kinds of um, things going on in their lives. We've already talked about that. And the strong desire within us is to try and fix all of that. Um, bringing people to the Eucharist reminds me that it's not me that's doing the fixing, it's Jesus. I bring people to Jesus, I give them Jesus. It's his problem, not mine. I am just doing what I can, where I am. So from the very beginning, our first church plant, the very first church service we had was a Eucharist. And every Sunday since then, it was Eucharist. We had an open table policy. Um, so everyone who came forward and put their hands out received. We then, um, we encouraged people, we discipled them into uh, baptism, into confirmation as quickly as we possibly could. Um, we used the, the liturgy that's out there. It's not like we've just got one service and you must stick to that. There are so many resources out there. Um, so we were looking for what is the most user-friendly for the lowest literacy levels. 
um, and how we best use that. And the fact that you can use that liturgy, but you don't have to just use that. You can talk around it. You can explain, you know, we are faced with the glory of God and the wonder. We sing his praises, but it makes us realize that we make mistakes and we get things wrong. So it's important for us to say sorry together rather than just saying, and we now come to our time of confession. <laughs> you know, like, it, it, like explaining this and working through with it. Um, but yeah, to me, that, that's my personal experience, but Eucharist has been very central uh, to our church plant from the very beginning. Can I say about uh, baptism? Um, we used to talk about baptism uh, to people, actually, how important baptism is. Um, and um, uh, one of the experiences was uh, when we were doing a school ministry, um, after-school club called Jesus and Me All-Age uh, Cham Club. Uh, we were talking about this um, uh, John the Baptist. And um, after we finished, that a couple of parents came and said, we want to get baptized you know, uh, we feel that God is calling us uh, for baptism. We, I didn't have anywhere church or any baptism place to, to offer this sort of thing. So I approached the Indian restaurant, <laughs> whether they would give me a space for me to do, um, uh, do this baptism. And uh, to my surprise, they said, yes, we will give you a place. And uh, they took me and showed me and all the place and all the things. But because I was a lay, uh, in a lay capacity, I couldn't do it. But then I organized with the bishop and uh, the, uh, my manager, uh, was a vicar, um, to do that baptism. But unfortunately, I couldn't do that because um, the day before the baptism, uh, the family became very ill. Um, so otherwise, we would have had an Indian restaurant. We would have had a baptism there. <laughs> So, yeah, we always talk about uh, baptism, how important it is, uh, and the Eucharist. Uh, um, so it was really a, a part, main part of the worship. Um, so when I go through the liturgy, I, I like to interpret every part of it. So I try to just put it in normal language, because sometimes we can just all go through the motions, can't we? And then what I do is I point at the, the communion table and I say, I want you to imagine that this is this most delicious feast and there's like chicken nuggets and, and, and Jesus is at this table and, you know, and you're welcome to come to this table. And this whole service that we've been doing is a journey to this table. So when you're saying the peace you're doing business with God and others because you can't be coming to this table if you're annoyed with each other. And also, we get to say sorry to God as a gather community saying none of us, poo, doesn't stink. Do you know what I mean? Like, we all make mistakes. But also, we're repenting on behalf of our community who can't be there. We're, all, we're saying sorry on their behalf as well. So when we come to the table, we've journeyed to that place. And it just... It makes it ours in real time. Do you know what I mean? And a celebration when we do the last prayer. And I always go, yay, like that at the end. Um, being from an Anglo-Catholic context, you know, bells, smells, bretters, we've got it. It's all there. Um, and it's absolutely rooted uh, in the sacraments. Uh, my own faith is rooted in the sacraments. Um, and our starting point with this revitalization Centre of Preston was the development of this mission statement, which is very simple, of be blessed, be a blessing. And what we're trying to do in that is to tell people, actually the starting point is to be blessed, which we, we see in the sacraments, you know, in relationship with Jesus Christ, so that you can go out 
and be a blessing. So you've always got this organic circle going around. Actually, you need to come and be blessed yourself so that you can go out. Um, and that's our theology of that anyway. I, I find um, there's a real like hunger for the Lord's table <laughs> um, that I've uh, that surprised me. Um, we've found, especially among young people, just a real, like, we'd have different groups over the years and literally kind of running to the front to receive and stuff. And and there's something, I don't know whether it's like a residual thing from the past or the families, but it's like there's something that, or if it's just the, the, the spirit, you know, but there's something that draws people and it's, and for us, we we've eaten food together uh, the first thing you do for our church is we eat a meal together every week for the last 19 years and um for me that's that feels sacramental um as as we eat together and um and as part of that we'll often break bread and and have the elements like that in that way but there's a there's something about Jesus's meal table where he goes this is what the kingdom looks like all these different people coming together around this meal and and giving us a glimpse of the, of God's future um which is i just think um yeah beautiful quite we've heard quite evidently we you know we're close to Christ in the sacrament this brings a challenge as a lay person sat here um with six social housing estates uh, and a remit to put some worshiping communities on them in our new parish um how do we wrestle with that how do we get around that? Um, and, uh, you know, it, it is a real concern because we are close to Christ in, in the sacrament. Um, I would love to be able to just say, well, do you need to be a priest to share the blood? Yeah. <laughs> sorry, sorry, but... <laughs> sat next... Oh, hello, I'm getting looked again. There's going to be a line management meeting, I think, yeah, isn't yeah, there later? Yeah. <laughs> Another one. Another one. Supervision, But yeah. actually, I think it's something as, as a church, if we're moving forward and we're going to reach out onto these estates, it's something the church has to wrestle with. Absolutely. And um, we, we are kind of at the end of our time here, but this is exactly why we wanted to start these conversations because it, it's so rich, isn't it, that we learn from one another. Let's keep, keep talking about this stuff. And just to champion, really, that... Um, that, that it, there are some things we've got to wrestle with, aren't there? And, and just to say that I think it's really worth the wrestle. So to encourage you, well, for all of us, let's be encouraged to do that wrestling, to think how do we gather people around Jesus' table and not to kind of put it off as, oh, well, we'll come to that, but rather to, to bring jesus table central again to say you know it's really great that we do fun things that we talk about jesus but the but the point is to talk with jesus to meet with jesus that's that's what changes lives isn't it um and so how do we make those spaces for encounter with jesus uh, around his his table what he commanded us to do and um, he invites us to do so so like let's dig in let's wrestle with this stuff and and learn from one another speak to kind of those around us and think how can we do this better so that we can we can really um you know, be the body of Christ in these ways. Thank you. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to move on. 
Lord Jesus, thank you that you call us to yourself. Thank you that you call us to follow you. That before anything else, we are your people who you love, that we serve and follow you, Jesus. And we ask that you would teach us how to lead others alongside us as we follow you, as we teach them to follow you too. Show us where we need to make space. Give us courage and confidence and creativity to raise up new leaders, those that you are calling and may we trust your calling in their life, even when it looks different to our calling in our life. Give us eyes to see where you're at work. And give us creativity to make space in different places and different ways that others may encounter you too. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Thank you all so much. Let's give them a round of applause.